Welcome to the February 2nd edition of Global Nashville with Carl Dean. I'm Patrick Ryan, founding president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. This evening, former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean will talk with Matt Kisber, chairman of Silicon Ranch, a solar energy pioneer, and he's former commissioner of the Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that February is Black History Month, and we wanna take a minute to highlight a great African-American's contribution to international peace and security. Ralph Johnson Bunch was an American political scientist, academic, and diplomat who received the 1950 Nobel Peace Prize for his late 1940s mediation in Israel. He was the first African-American to be so honored. He was involved in the formation and administration of the United Nations and played a major role in numerous peacekeeping operations sponsored by the UN. In 1963, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President John F. Kennedy. Bunch served on the U.S. delegation to both the Washington Conservations on International Peace and Security Organization in 1944 and the United Nations Conference on International Organization in San Francisco in 1945 that drafted the UN Charter. Bunch served on the American delegation to the first session of the United Nations General Assembly in 1946. He then joined the UN as head of the trusteeship department and began a long series of troubleshooting roles. In 1948, he became an acting mediator for the Middle East, negotiating an armistice between Egypt and Israel. For this success, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He continued to serve at the United Nations, working on crises in the Sinai, the Congo, Yemen, Cyprus and Bahrain, reporting directly to the UN Secretary General. In 1957, he was promoted to Under Secretary General for Special Political Affairs, having prime responsibility for peacekeeping roles. In 1965, he supervised the ceasefire following the war between India and Pakistan. He retired from the United Nations in 1971. Ralph Bunch. This evening, we'll hear perspectives on developments in Nashville, as well as the nine years of building a solar energy business that now accounts for over 2 million solar modules installed and almost 400 million kilowatt hours of energy generated. And we'll learn about bringing international businesses to Tennessee, great success stories like Nissan and VW that have contributed to quality jobs in our state and improved our prosperity. Matt Kisber is a co-founder of Silicon Ranch and served as CEO of the company until becoming chairman in July 2019. As chairman, Matt works closely with the company's executive leadership to set and implement its ambitious growth strategy. Under his leadership, Silicon Ranch has become one of the fastest growing developers, owners, and operators of solar energy plants in the U.S., with a portfolio that includes more than three gigawatts of PV systems that are contracted, under construction, or operating coast to coast. Matt brings a unique background to Silicon Ranch, having been a business owner and having served eight years as Tennessee Commissioner of Economic Development. He has also worked with industry leaders from across the U.S. and around the globe to bring investments and jobs to Tennessee. During his tenure as Commissioner, Tennessee received over $33 billion in new capital investment and over 200,000 new jobs. A graduate of Vanderbilt University, 
Matt served 10 terms in the Tennessee House of Representatives and held numerous leadership positions. Matt grew up in his family's Jackson, Tennessee department store business and developed a great love for the people in the business. He has owned a number of successful small businesses and served as vice president for business development for First Tennessee Bank prior to leading Tennessee's economic development efforts. Matt is married to Paige Kisber and they have a son who attends Southern Methodist University and a high school daughter who attends Harpeth Hall. He is currently chairman of the Tennessee Business Roundtable, member of the board of directors of the Adventure Science Center and a founding board member and former chairman of the Tennessee Advanced Energy Business Council. And now here's Carl Dean and Matt Kisber. That's good. So you, you had, because looking at your career where you have spent you know, 18 years plus in public life uh, in politics, and then you've been involved in the private sector uh, as an entrepreneur. So you've done, you've done both. When you got out of college, what, where did you head? Well, I graduated in 1982 and um, I still have a file of rejection letters that I sent, you know, that I received from applications and inquiries I sent to all the names you could imagine. It was the depths of the recession and nobody was hiring. And so um, I, um, Christmas of my senior year, I was home and a member of the county commission who had been a longtime friend of mine was suggesting all to run for the legislature. And at first I dismissed it. Um, and he and some other people seriously discussed it with me. And so the more I thought about it, um, I, I pondered it. I made, like all good candidates, I said by the end of spring break, I'm gonna make my decision as to whether I'm gonna run or not. And um, my father, as I left on spring break my senior year with my buddies, advised me, said, son, I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but the opportunity to be a stockbroker, a lawyer, an investment banker, whatever it is you wanna be, may always be there. But the opportunity to run for the legislature, win or lose, probably won't. And so if you run and lose, what have you lost? Six months, but you've gained a great experience. And if you win, it could change your life. So I took that advice to heart. I ran in the, after graduating in May of 82, I immediately went into the Democratic primary and I ran that summer against um, Charles Farmer, who later became the mayor of Jackson and won the Democratic primary. I think it was 152 votes and then ran against the Republican incumbent that fall who was seeking his third term and defeated him by about 1400 votes, 52, 48, I think it was. And, um, and so I started at the ripe old age of 22 on my uh, political journey. And so you entered the legislature in the early eighties. And at that point, the legislature was democratic it was. Ned McWhorter was the speaker, and I had, I had known Ned both through my father, who he and Ned served on the board of a company, Murray Guard, together. But also, I continued to work for the Jackson Sun while I was at Vanderbilt. That's how I made my money to do the things I wanted to do. And um, they had a Nashville bureau at the time, and so I worked uh, about 20 hours a week with them. And... Um, so when the legislature was in session, I was on the Hill 
um, and got to know a large number of the members of the legislature. So when I got elected, I actually started with a little bit of an advantage since I, especially the rural West Tennessee delegation, knew them well. And I was fortunate to have Ned take me under his wing and mentor me. Um, John Tanner, who later uh, went to Congress, has been a close friend and mentor to me. And John Bragg, who was the chairman of the Finance Committee, uh, took me under his wing. And I had three unbelievable mentors as a young man um, entering the state legislature. So you were very successful as the legislator. You became the chair of um, Finance Committee and other powerful committees and a real influence. And then when Governor Bredesen was elected, you moved over to the, to the executive branch. So when I, you know, as I served, I never thought I was going to go and spend as much time at the legislature as I did. I spent 10 terms, 20 years. And some of those last terms were a bit grueling with the budget issues and all. But I had committed, I got married in 93, um, and I had committed to Paige that when we decided to start a family, that was it. I was getting out of elected office. And in 2000, our first child came and um, I, I was in the middle of a campaign. So I, I won that, finished that term and announced I wouldn't seek reelection. And um, conveniently for me, it was at the same time that uh, Governor Bredesen was running. I had worked with him as mayor of Nashville uh, on the Dell project, on the Titans stadium. Um, I'd handle uh, a lot of the legislation around economic development and, and issues for that were of interest to Nashville. And so when he started his campaign, we talked about uh, me being an advisor to the campaign. And so I helped them with issues political perspective on, on issues in the state legislature and was active in his campaign. Both of us had said, now there's no commitment around the job. And I said, I don't want a commitment. You know, he couldn't do one legally. And I said, you know, I'm leaving all my options open. And uh, after he got elected, we talked uh, during that transition period. And he wanted to understand why I had an interest in economic development. And I told him that, um, you know, I had authored a large number of the tools that are used in economic development. I, as a business person, I've always loved business strategy, loved how do you compete and, you know, how do you win? How do you differentiate yourself? And so we had a great two hour conversation about it. And a few days later, he called me to ask if I would be willing to join his administration as commissioner. And you had, I think it's fair to say the Bredesen administration with your heavy involvement had lots of success in terms of economic development, um, but particularly in the area of um, international investment. Um, what, to you, looking back at it, um, and a lot of it had a very positive effect on, on Nashville. Um, when you look back on it, what are, what are the highlights for you? Well, you know, first, you start with a great product to sell. I mean, Tennessee is a great product. And there's a lot of work that was done prior to our administration. And I certainly believe that Governor Bredesen contributed to the, to the success of, of the state. It, it's interesting, we continue to grow the activities in Japan, you know, Tennessee's the, an extremely important state, one of the largest for foreign direct investment from Japan. But 
Governor Bradison really wanted me to focus on creating new relationships while maintaining and growing the existing relationships. And so during that time, uh, worked to um, establish a presence in China with the economic importance of, of that country and as it was growing, uh, worked uh, to further our presence in Germany and that was the Volkswagen project and Bakker Kimi, uh, two huge uh, projects to win, both of them in 2008. Um, when I look back and collectively at, at my eight years as uh, commissioner, I think that Volkswagen and Bakker, the Nissan headquarters, um, we had $4 billion plus projects in 2008 the depths of the economic downturn. And everybody was competing for them. And the fact that we won them was um, extremely impressive. But you know, we also had over 50 corporate headquarters of some type come to the state. And you and I worked on ones like Service Source and others. Um, Nashville benefited greatly from our emphasis and putting together a toolkit to support the recruitment of projects like economic, like uh, corporate headquarters. And the other thing I'll say is Governor Bradison, when he offered me the job, he said, I want you to understand something. As mayor, I interacted with economic ECD and it's too political. I want you to hire people based on their skills. I don't care about their politics. And I want you to be effective and I want you to learn how to listen to what companies need and respond to that, not go and say, here's what we have to offer. How can you make it work? And that was a big part of our success. And um, he supported uh, our efforts in tailoring our packages and our approaches to specific opportunities. And, uh, you know, he let me put a team together. Lori Odom's a great example. Um, there she is. Uh, Lori, I was fortunate to have her on our team. We hired her, promoted her up to uh, international development director. And she understood what we wanted to accomplish and went out and did it. And I, I worked with her on that. And we had a lot of others like that. So. I was very fortunate to have great support throughout the administration, especially from the governor and a great team. And that's how I got to know Reagan Farr, who was the deputy commissioner of revenue and was assigned to work with me on large projects. And who knew at the time he would become my business partner and best friend. So during this time, I think we were talking before the program started, you visited um, Japan how many times during this? Your life? You know, I'd say I probably made over 13. I know I made 13 trips to China. And, you know, when I would go to Asia, I would stop in Japan and whatever other countries we were trying to accomplish, go to China. The China emphasis came about in 2004. And as you recall from participating in and helping to host the, um, uh, Southeast US Japan meeting. Every year at that meeting, there is a governors only and economic development commissioner only meeting. And in 2004, we were in Atlanta 
and Governor Purdue was talking about all this activity that they were doing in China. And some of the other governors were talking about um, what they were planning to do in China. And Governor Bredesen, I'll never forget it, leaned over to me and says, have you been yet? And I said, no, we're actually got a trip scheduled. And he said, well, I want you to get over there and I want you to beat them all at what they're trying to do. And in his way, as you well know, he also said, I don't want the relationship that you establish built on trading dollars for one. I want it built on something that's substantive that is meaningful to both countries. So you need to figure out what that is. And on one of my early trips, it became clear that there was an opportunity for Tennessee and a challenge for China in that they had real problems around rural health care. And so working with the Ministry of Commerce and the Ministry of Health in China, we created an exchange program where they sent rural health care leaders, policymakers, and administrators from six provinces to Tennessee. And we had worked with Vanderbilt and East Tennessee State and the University of Memphis, University of Tennessee to put together a three week um, program. So they got to see the state, they got to um, meet various leaders, but they also came to learn about successful rural healthcare strategies. And then the people who presented the next year went to Xi'an, China, and did the same thing for 10 days as they brought people, I think 400 people from all over the country in for that. And the governor was correct about find something that means something to them. Because as a result of that, Tennessee was included on so many different trade missions when Chinese buying groups would come to the US, they would go to, you know, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and they'd come to Nashville, or they'd come to Memphis. And other things took place where we were getting invited into um, opportunities. And in, in 2009, I remember being with the uh, minister in, in the Ministry of Commerce, Beijing, and they reminded me that the Knoxville World's Fair was the first World's Fair that modern China participated in and they expected Tennessee to be supportive of the Shanghai Expo in 2010. And as a result of their participation in Knoxville, we were a sponsor of the U.S. Pavilion in Shanghai, and they had Tennessee Day, actually a day before USA Day, and we did trade shows and other things around it, but it really elevated the prominence of Tennessee because all these people were focusing on the U.S. on the next day and they're like Tennessee is right before and again it opened doors and allowed opportunities to be created for the state. Yeah and so when the Bredesen administration came to an end um, what were your thoughts about what you're going to do next at that point? Well around 2008 um, you had the opportunity to be with Reagan Farr and myself on a number of occasions. He's a, a very smart um, He's a tax lawyer by training, but he's a great strategist and, and just a smart mind. And he and I had worked together. And we, we said, you know, we need to find something that we can do together. We've been successful in the British administration. We can take that same skill set and use it in the private sector to do something. 
and we've kicked a lot of ideas around. And as we had worked on developing a green collar job strategy in 2008, 2009, um, in 2010, we were recruiting companies in the um, renewable energy component space. Companies like Vocker making polycrystalline silicon, companies like Shoals in um, Portland, Tennessee that makes components for solar arrays. Um, Sharp in Memphis was making solar panels. And Arison in Chattanooga was making, we recruited them making wind components and, and others in biofuels and the like. We came to learn that what was going on with solar in Europe and starting to develop on the West Coast was gonna be like semiconductors and computers. The price would come down as deployments grew and it would become a very cost-effective source of electric generation. And Reagan and I would kept coming back to the premise, wouldn't it be neat to start a company using the skill sets we've developed and understanding how to differentiate ourselves in an emerging industry where we might be able to even help shape the industry. And so in, our, in 2010, Governor Bredesen would periodically ask me, what are you gonna do when this gig's up? And um, I remember saying to him, you know, Governor, when we have it figured out, Reagan and I are working on something, you'll be the first to know. And over dinner, after the Shanghai Expo in May of 2010, um, we were overnighting in Hong Kong, overlooking Victoria Harbor. We laid out to Governor Bredesen the idea we were kicking around that conceptually became Silicon Ranch. And uh, that dinner lasted about six hours. He was very intrigued by it. And he said to us at the end of the night, he said, I think you guys have an interesting idea. I'm willing to be your advisor. Can't let this get in the way of our day jobs. We can meet on the weekends like entrepreneurs do and work on a business plan and I'll advise you. So over the course of that summer, we did. And um, in the fall of 2010, the governor said, you know, I think you guys have a really good opportunity here. If you want me to, the three of us will start the company when we leave office. And um, we agreed to that. And Reagan, we agreed that Reagan would go ahead and leave state government and work full-time on the business plan. And so when the term was up, uh, we had one of the reasons I stuck around to the very end, we had some projects underway that needed to be completed. And so when, when um, the term was up in January of 11, I joined him and we kicked off Silicon Ranch. And so what, what does, how would you, what's your elevator speech for what Silicon Ranch does? Absolutely. So Silicon Ranch is a developer owner operator of solar generation facilities. And we sell electric, renewable generated electricity to utilities, companies, and the government to help them fulfill both their goals around low cost, sustainable energy, and economic development. So what does that mean? It means that we we listen to what a customer wants. We develop a bespoke project to deliver that. And we do that in an extremely cost competitive manner. When we started the company, states like California, 
in North Carolina that had renewable portfolio standards and policy to incent um, these type projects were where developers were already going. We chose to go where there weren't economic incentives, but you had to compete on cost. And that's why we started in Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas. And we were in many of those states, we did the first large solar projects that um, those states had seen. So we had educated and we worked to um, fulfill both the energy need, but we also helped them understand how to use it as an economic development tool. And what makes our pitch is Silicon Ranch, we, we'll, we tell a customer, all you gotta do is buy the electricity. We do everything else. And it certainly makes it uh, very easy for them. They enter into a long-term contract. We, we design, construct, build, own, and operate the project. What's the foreign business side of what Silicon Ranch does? What, how, how involved is the international community? Well, it's interesting because so much of this industry started in Europe, you have a lot of European um, manufacturers. You also have a lot of European investors. Um, some of the early investors into solar generation projects were European pension funds. Um, they, they were some of the early ones also to come over to the U.S. and finance projects when U.S. Uh, banks and others were not as educated and interested in financing uh, solar projects. When we got into the business in 2011, the cost to install a watt of solar was around $4. It was extremely expensive. Today, that cost for a, a large scale project like the ones we do can be as low as 80 cents. And so you can see the cost of building a solar array has come down by about 80%. And that makes the energy cost competitive. Those early days, a lot of the innovation and financing came out of Europe. Today, it's a global industry. You got Asian players, you've got European players, and you've got domestic players, solar panels, inverters, basis of systems and financing. And um, it, it, it's a much broader and competitive market than it was uh, when we first got into it. For us specifically, in 2017, we had outreach from our investment bankers who um, said that they had had someone that wanted to invest in us. And we, in 2016, had just completed two rounds of capital raising and we were set for a few years. So we said, thank you, but no thank you. And they called back the next week and said, well, you may want to take this meeting. It's, uh, we've been given permission to tell you who it is. It's Royal Dutch Shell. And so we did take the meeting. They came to Nashville and um, we had some very uh, uh, extensive discussions, ultimately led to Reagan and myself going over to The Hague for three or four days in the summer of 2017, meeting with a large number of their key leaders, including their CEO, to understand why is a big oil company wanting to invest in renewable energy? And is this about greenwashing 
or is it about truly trying to grow a company? And what we came to learn, Shell is one of the best companies in the world for scenario planning. They have done unbelievable scenario planning for 25, 50, 75, and 100 years. And at the time it wasn't public, today it is, that they believe that the energy transition is underway and that over the next 50 years, the global economy is gonna transition from a fossil fuel base to an electricity based system. And that the future for them is to become a global power company as opposed to a global oil company. And so we uh, attracted, they were attracted to us to be their US platform for solar development in that, in trying to fulfill that strategy. And so in 2018, we closed, uh, the investment and today they own about 48% of the company. And looking forward, you have the US, you know, renewing its uh, agreement to be part of the climate control agreements, uh, the Paris agreement, uh, sort of a heightened uh, emphasis in the last um, few weeks on, uh, on climate issues and environmental issues. Um, are you optimistic um, for the, your business's future and, and the future of solar? I am, and I'm, I'm optimistic about the U.S. rejoining the Paris Accords and, and taking as, as government policy becoming a more sustainable country. As I think we all know, what's been done over the last four years was being driven by the private sector. And it's being driven by companies who want to be sustainable. And so they are uh, making those requirements, whether it's a Facebook and, you know, we're serving Facebook at, at some of their data centers with renewable generated electricity, you know, Apple, Walmart, Nike, we're working with Nike, um, the military. I, I got it under President Obama, the uh, Pentagon was charged with, um, developing a gigawatt of renewable energy per branch. And we've been, we've worked with the Navy on helping them fulfill that. It, as these opportunities drive to both the uh, private sector and now the public sector, I think utilities and others are seeing the benefit of going to the lowest cost of long-term generation that has no harmful impact on the environment and it's studies have shown that uh, consumers, especially consumers under the age of 35, make buying decisions in part based on sustainability. Well, that's fascinating. Um, and your, I think your career is, is uh, very interesting. I mean, the combination of government and entrepreneur and um, seeing the world really from 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 both uh, from both positions private and public pat do you have uh, questions we do we have a couple uh from facebook live over uh, via twitter uh are you seeing any breakthroughs in battery technology on the horizon that will increase the benefit of solar absolutely that's the next frontier is being able to take um, solar generation and make it dispatchable and there are batteries on the market today for large scale projects. They're not really cost effective yet, but utilities are wanting to start 
using them to on a small scale to understand how they interact with their grid, how the dispatchability of them impacts their transmission system and the like. Um, I believe from the conversations we've had with vendors in the battery uh, technology field that over the next uh, 18 to 36 months, you're gonna see um, dramatic improvements in efficiencies and prices that will allow battery technology to start being deployed more widely um, as part of uh, solar and wind and other, other forms of uh, renewable generation make that energy more valuable because it's more, it's dispatchable when it's needed. What, what do you foresee, uh, again, from Facebook Live, uh, what do you foresee as the impact of the change in administrations on alternative energy projects? Well, I think that the government support, just from a policy standpoint, will be, um, will be meaningful, knowing that we as a country want to become uh, more sustainable, putting emphasis again on clean air and clean water and, and, and a healthy environment will help to drive state and local communities to um, also create policies. I mean, we deal with zoning in, at the local level. You know, you deal with tax issues at the local and state level. These are big investments. So helping um, uh, levels of government see that they play a role in, in helping to create the environment that allows these uh, investments to occur and, and these projects to be built will be supported at the federal level. Um, I also think that uh, we'll see utilities who have already migrated. I mean, solar was the largest source of new energy generation last year, and it's gonna continue to be that. And as battery technology improves, I think it'll only grow in that. In, in, in that way. Um, so I think that the combination of the right economics, lowest, lowest cost of generation and good policy has uh, bright opportunities ahead. Are you seeing uh, your projects displacing any fossil fuel power plants? Uh, yes, I mean, I think you can see that, for instance, TVA has, has announced you know, shutting down uh, some of their older coal plants and they're replacing some of that uh, generation with uh, solar and, and some with uh, gas-fired. Um, but TVA has, has in the last two years procured, uh, you know, well over a gigawatt of solar. And uh, that's a huge improvement. Jeff Lyash, their new CEO, is a believer in uh, clean energy. And so I think uh, from what we've been told, I think we can see that they're gonna continue to embrace um, solar in part because their customers are demanding it. Company like Facebook ain't gonna invest in a data center in the Valley if they can't get renewable generated electricity. There are other companies uh, uh, who are similarly situated. So um, I think you'll see a lot more and it will be displacing fossil fuel. Last question from our visitors tonight. Um, what types of skills are you looking for to work in your industry? You know, it takes all types um, because for a company like ours, who is a closed loop, I like to say we're sort of the Apple computer of the solar energy industry. Um, 
We need people who can sell. We need people who can design, people who can build, people who can maintain. And, um, and so we have a wide set of skills at, at our company from, from CPAs to lawyers to um, electrical engineers, civil engineers, all types of engineers. So um, uh, it, to accountants and CPAs and, and the like. So it's a, you know, we started here in Nashville in 2011 with two of us, Reagan and myself. Today we have over 70, I think we're about at 75. We've been adding about four or five people every couple of months. And uh, I would say that uh, uh, by the end of this year, we'll be well over a hundred people in an industry that nobody thought could ever develop in Tennessee and be headquartered here and, um, and employ as, as many people. Um, and as a result, there's some other companies in our industry that are here. Uh, Next Tracker has a, a service center and fulfillment center. They make the trackers They're that's based here in Nashville. Um, like I said earlier, Shoals in Portland. So there's a nice little set of uh, renewable energy um, industries here in Middle Tennessee. Well, good questions all. Thanks for uh, people for turning in the, their uh, their questions for the for the chairman. Uh, Carl, that's uh, that's it from uh, the peanut gallery. <laughs> well, great. Well, Matt, thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, it was very interesting, and I wish you uh, the best of uh, luck in the future. And um, again, thanks, Pat. You got final words? Uh, that's it. Uh, just a, a reminder for our viewers to uh, take a look at the tnwac.org website. We're a uh, nonprofit uh, organization and we rely on membership and your gifts to keep the organization uh, moving along and bringing programs and uh, excellent guests like uh, Chairman Kisber uh, with you tonight. So look at tnwac.org. Please consider becoming a member or making a gift to the World Affairs Council. And we'll be back with uh, Global Nashville in two weeks time. Thank you. Great. Everybody have a good Thank night. Thank you everyone. And, uh... Good night.